0: Filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay, let's get started.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room Podcast. As we come to the end of the year, I'm sure many of you are thinking about New Year's resolutions, or maybe even more specifically, about how you can come back to work in 2024 with a fresh start and some clear goals. Well, if so, then we've got just the chat for you now as we'll be discussing New Year's Resolutions for HR Professionals. Joining us today to share their thoughts on what HR Professionals and teams should be focusing on in the new year, we're delighted to be joined by Megan Power, HR Consultant here at InsideHR. Thanks for joining us again, Megan, how are you?
2: I'm good Owen, thanks for having me.
1: Brilliant stuff, and as always, we're joined by our very own Mary Cullen, Founder and Managing Director here at InsideHR. How are you, Mary?
2: I'm great, thanks.
3: Um, looking forward to the Christmas break at this stage, as I'm sure all our listeners are. Or or should I say, if you're lucky enough to be off work uh, over Christmas, I, I shouldn't forget that some people aren't as lucky as us. We we do close down. That's
1: it. And if you're lucky to be off already listening to this, then even better. Um, brilliant. So we'll jump right in. I suppose, Megan, I'll come to yourself first. Um, I suppose kind of first touch point, first thing to focus on first New Year's resolution. Anything jumping out to you as something to to watch out for next year
2: yeah i mean straight off the bat come the 1st of january we are um as outlined in our budget we're seeing the uh, national minimum wage increase a significant jump uh this year and so it has moved it will move sorry to uh 12 euros 70 an hour from 11 30 so one euro and 40 cent increase so uh not uh you know not a small jump in the slightest. So we're going to see that it's, you know, from a HR perspective, it's going to affect both those who are on minimum wage and, to be honest, those who are above it, but will likely now only, only meet it. At a minimum, you know, f- from a HR perspective, employers need to ensure they're complying with the new rate of pay from the 1st of January. We've already had a few queries from clients um, who offer a daily rate of pay, so maybe not hourly, it's it's daily, um, and they too need to ensure that this meets the national minimum wage requirements now. It's also going to bring about questions about pay rises for staff who are now back on minimum wage or, or very close to it um, as a result of this increase. Um, I suppose from our perspective, we are seeing... Um, feeling from staff that they need to be fairly compensated as a result of this increase um so that so it is going to have a knock-on effect um whilst there's no legal um i suppose requirement to increase um their wage so long as you're meeting national minimum wage requirements it is likely going to lead to other issues if conversations aren't had with employees at a minimum, so like you'll probably begin to notice things such as a lack of engagement, turnover. And in this labour market, you know, that's what, what a lot of people, a lot of employers would be hoping uh, to avoid. So um, not just about increasing it and and, and getting on, I suppose, um, we do predict, um, don't we Mary, that this is going to have some knock on effects uh, for employers.
3: Absolutely, Megan. Um, I think, you know, if you look at uh, Ibex Pay and HR Trends report, um, they reported that eight out of 10 businesses were planning to increase pay in 2024. And I presume that's separate really to the you know national minimum wage increase um and that the average e- increase is actually going to be 3.8% but that's the average and in many sectors we're seeing again hikes in salaries and you know cost of living continues to increase and there is pressure on employers to actually meet the I suppose, the demands and the need for financial security. The reality is we all have less money in our pockets um, and employees are feeling that no more than any of the rest of us. And um, that demand and that push upwards continues to happen. And at the same time, which is great for Ireland, you know, we have low unemployment rates. It's brilliant to see it. um, But again, you know hiring and trying to find people is a bit like hen's teeth particularly uh, in certain sectors um and people are struggling so pay benefits and your strategy around them comes into sharp focus again 2024 so there's no let up there and I think it's really important for organizations to try and differentiate themselves because not every organization is going to be in a position to meet the needs and the demands of their workforce um, in terms of pay and salary. So it's really important to think about what people value um, what you can do, what you might be able to do at a low cost and um, what your own particular demographic values in terms of pay and benefits before you kind of make those decisions. Uh, but everybody's been having knocks on the door all year. We're going to have more knocking on the door next year and uh, the pressure continues and will continue for 2024. So whatever your size, be prepared. Um, We need to start thinking about this now or well, we probably need to to start thinking about it, uh, you know, all year and uh, and all next year too.
1: Yeah, or might hold off till next week and be generous when people come back. But yeah, no, it's an important one. I'm glad it's I think to the untrained eye, the money stuff can, can seem a little bit just like a money thing, but it's definitely a lot of HR challenges, but also benefits if you get it right. So it's great to, great to kick off with that one. Um, back around to yourself again, Megan. Um, Second New Year's resolution, second thing to keep out for, and don't worry, we could go on for hours or if our listeners are worrying. We're going to have 10 points. We're not. We're just going to do a handful of the key ones. Um, But Megan, you might just jump into the second one. Yeah.
2: Another one from the 1st of January 2024 Um, is... Uh, the statutory sick pay so we are going to see that increase uh, to five days it currently is three and so that's another change of course under the legislation we know that that's to be capped at 70 percent of their wage subject to a maximum of 110 euros per day and the requirement of a medical cert from day one and that's the minimum if companies want to offer more beneficial terms of course that's absolutely fine as well Um, uh, But employers who offer statutory, uh, you know, best practice would be to inform staff of the increase and to implement it accordingly. Um, It's a good reminder now um, to check on those who are currently out on sick leave as the the legislation as it's written is from Jan to December. So it is going to renew on the 1st of January. So those who got paid their three days this year from the 1st of January will have an entitlement to five days sick leave, um, provided, obviously, they're meeting the minimum eligibility uh, criteria as set out in the the legislation or the policy, if if more generous. Um, So, you know, communication is going to be key, key here and a notification to all staff about the increase would be beneficial. You want to get your sick leave policies, and if you reference it in your contract, you want to get that updated. Um, as well. And that's obviously somewhere where we can can definitely support uh, clients. Um, And just one to touch on as well um, is if you offer above statutory sick leave, you still need to ensure your sick leave policy complies uh, with the legislation. So we're seeing this a bit now as it's gradually getting, um, you know, as it's gradually increasing, not every policy that was more generous remains more generous. Um, And there was a helpful rule in this year with regards to statutory sick leave and a company's policy being more generous. So in that particular case, the organisation had waiting days before availing of a much more substantial um, sick leave policy than what's offered in the legislation. And uh, the employee believed they were entitled to statutory sick from day one, However, the WRC actually ruled in the favour of the company and on the balance of holes, their policy was more generous, albeit, yes, uh, there was a number of waiting days. So they did not need to implement statutory sick payments in their waiting days. But it was a specific case. As always, there were some individualities within that case. So I would strongly advise getting advice from us, from professionals before going against the statutory sick pay, even if you feel what you're offering is more generous in the longer in the longer term. And I think that's going to become much more topical. The, the bigger the increase we see in statutory sick pay coming down the line, it's going up to seven days next year and eventually to 10. So it's going to become much more of a topic. And it's something that we can we can support clients with. And um, yeah, so that's, I suppose, with statutory sick pay, another one uh,
1: to look out for. Definitely. And I suppose, Mary, again, look to the untrained eye. Sick pay might be seen as a little bit straightforward, bit of legislation, put that in the policy. That's grand job done. But I think we're, we're smiling here as I say it, that's not as easy as it is. And also there's an opportunity here, Mary, just, as Megan said, to kind of go above and beyond and to really make sure this is well communicated, but also is something that, I mean, you can you can kind of stand there from the crowd a little bit if you, if you go above it. But there is kind of risks, challenges, Opportunities there with something as straightforward. I'm doing the inverted commas uh, like this, Mary, isn't there?
3: Absolutely, and you know, I think when it comes to long-term absence and sick leave and COVID-related sick leave and and all of that, um, you know, there are ongoing challenges because, you know, three to five years ago, if somebody was sick, um they tended to struggle their way into work or could struggle their way into work. And now it's really socially unacceptable to do it, isn't it? Um, To mix with other people when you're sick. I think we all know an awful lot more about how infection is transmitted than we did before. And um, while I'm sure our listeners are sick of hearing about the pandemic and you know, we're not going to talk a whole heap about it. The reality is COVID is still there. It's still affecting um, employees and people in employment. Long COVID has you know, become a thing and you may see patterns of absence related to things uh, where symptoms come and go for people. um, And you as the employer or HR person are trying to manage what seems to be a range of unrelated symptoms that might actually ultimately be grouped together as long COVID. And so we are seeing more absence um, than we have done Uh, in previous years um, and have been since the pandemic. And that really hasn't let up, in a sense, um, because, because people require time off when they contract COVID. So it's, again, something to think about, you know, what do we do when people are continuously unable to present for work? The payment is one thing the impact it has on the business, on teams, on departments, on the individual, always has to be considered and and is always a HR issue and something that we constantly uh, manage within the HR function, um, keeping on top of our stats, If you're not keeping on top of your stats, that's a good place to start. Make sure you have your systems, your processes, uh, your procedures for how you handle um, both short-term absence and long-term absence. And review those policies, because I think an awful lot of them are very old and haven't been updated in line with changes uh, that we've had since the pandemic.
1: Definitely. And on a related note, the last two podcasts we did were actually with Sinead on from Leia on well-being, their their survey results this year, and with our very own Joe Thompson previously with a long-term absence just the week before. So I'd urge anyone with an interest in either of those things to to listen back to those two. Got any kind of additional thoughts on that, Mary? Or, or?
3: Yeah, because I, I think um, Sinead in, in that podcast talked a lot about anxiety um, and, you know, stress-related absence and the increase that there is in those kind of absences. And I think that is very much something that we see uh, a lot, don't we, Megan, uh, in terms of for our client base, you know, the, the mental health Uh, or the mental ill health of employees still being uh, an issue. And some of that is the overhang of the pandemic for sure. Um, But the stresses and strains in terms of pay and cost of living, ability to pay your bills, the cost of childcare, the cost of housing, all of those play into uh, how a person might feel um, and those kind of things. And I thought Sinead had some great advice uh, for this, for our listeners, for our audience around um, how to tackle some of those uh, issues proactively.
1: 100% and I think Liam Burton, who's on on it with us, our very own Liam Burton, he mentioned a good point around how external societal factors will always come in to the workplace just by human nature so it's good to to see that someone like Lay is is talking about how anxiety comes into the workplace, even though it's something we've we've all heard about externally socially for for quite a long time. So yes, I would definitely encourage people to go back and listen to that one very very interesting very interesting episode. Um, Megan, would we be right in saying maybe two more kind of resolutions or things to watch out for before we jump into more strategic stuff? Yeah,
2: so I suppose the next one is actually uh is is due in December. It's one that I think. A lot of people, a lot of clients that we spoken to weren't aware of, or maybe we're putting it on the long finger because the 17th of December sounded like a long time away, <laughs> but it, it wasn't fast creeping up. Um, so it's whistleblowing. So the whistleblowing legislation, the amendments to the Protective Disclosure Act 2014, um, will apply uh, to companies who have over 50 staff uh, since the 17th of December. In short, what that means is these companies now require a reporting line for whistleblowing complaints alongside a robust procedure for the management and the feedback of such uh, complaints. So reporting channels and procedures typically should be undertaken by your, an internal person or a department designated by the employer, depending on the size. Um, or alternatively under the legislation, an organisation can look to outsource um, that function uh, to an external third party. Um, There needs to be established internal reporting channels that support in confidentiality and ensuring the identity of the reporting person um, stays confidential. Um, And this person will be responsible for communicating with the individual, making the disclosure, providing feedback, And requesting more information if if, if that's required. Um, In addition, there's a strict timeline now uh, for acknowledging and providing feedback and dealing with reports. You're looking at that if someone makes a report under the whistleblowing legislation that this report must be acknowledged within seven days, diligently following up on the report and being seen to do so and providing feedback within three months um, of receipt of that report on actions taken or planned actions taken if they haven't uh, come about yet, and um, so these there should be clear and easily accessible information on these procedures, and um, so that you know individuals understand, um, you know how they might go about uh, making a report. Uh, for me, I think you know, in addition to the policy part of it, because a lot of employers uh, will fall short of the legislation with current whistleblowing policies that we're seeing clients have. They don't quite like meet the standards under the new legislation but in addition it's, it's brand new there's a lot to it and i really do think uh, a focus uh, should be in training those individuals or the individual if it's one person that you've identified in the company that's going to take this on to give them bespoke training around the legislation i like i think that's so important and um, you do not want to be mismanaging a whistleblowing report if one comes in And So that's, you know, an area that I think HR professionals should be looking at in very early 2024, given that legislation is now in effect.
1: Definitely. Uh, And I know, Mary, we spoke recently with David McCauley from McCann Fitzgerald um, on that exact topic. And I think one of the points you mentioned, Mary, was that whether you think you need, whether you think you'll be facing or will come across protective disclosures in your organisation or not, treat it as if you will, because this is a, a policy, Mary, that. I mean, if it does come up, you want it to be well communicated, well thought out and ready to, I suppose, follow the procedure um, as per the, the law, isn't it?
3: Without a doubt, the stakes are very high when it comes to um, claims to the WRC uh, for being penalised because you made a complaint and I thought, David, you know, really outlined very clearly, and I would recommend our listeners uh, go back to that episode and and listen to what David had to say, Um, because, you know, a lot of the employment law solicitors have been examining this legislation quite closely, for quite some time, uh, in terms of how it how it applied uh, to larger organisations, and now that it's going to apply to smaller organisations, um, and not just the government bodies and, and larger organisations, um, I think that we're going to see a lot more claims in this area. And one of the key, and I suppose, scary elements of that piece of legislation is that you know people don't really have to prove a whole heap uh, when it comes to whistleblowing, as long as they're bringing it forward in good faith. And the grievances themselves can now be categorized as uh, whistleblowing. Um, And David talked through some interesting examples. Um, It doesn't necessarily mean that even though the employer was already aware, for instance, of something, um, that that doesn't form a whistleblowing complaint, and the way in which you handle the complaint and the individual who's made the complaint is key uh, to avoiding any potential risk to the organisation. You know, five years' salary is no joke. And we've seen one case that has already come through. Now, in that particular case, it it was a dreadful set of circumstances. you know, and any reasonable employer looking at it would say, well, of course, that person should have been awarded the maximum of five years, given how terrible the circumstances were um, involving a, a, a masseuse. Um, and I'm sure our listeners are aware that if not, we discussed it with David uh, on the podcast and um, but the risk is there for other um what other uh issues that an employer may not see as so serious um so i would just really get your head around it like megan says the training is key you know having the policy in place you have to have it in place Um, you you know having the training in place for not just the person who's going to handle them but what's the process how are people going to do it how are you going to preserve uh, anonymity and confidentiality uh, key elements of of uh, any whistleblowing policy and um how will your own managers supervisors leaders recognize when something is actually um a, a client uh, not a client sorry uh, an in, an employee an individual whistleblowing um it's important that they understand that because it it's it's it, the stakes are high, the risks are high.
1: Definitely. And, it's, it's, and it keeps coming up in our discussions because it is an important one. So it's definitely definitely good to, to raise that point. Um, and then Megan, I suppose, kind of final specific topic, specific thing to, to look out for we, before we have a, another chat about, I suppose, how we do things. Anything else for us for the, this little short to-do list we're giving people?
2: Yeah, I think maybe a, what a lot of people are looking for at the moment is uh, guidance on auto enrollment so it's been it's been threatening to come around for for quite some time now but it, it is being pushed out so at the moment um, we are looking at late 2024 so possibly September but obviously it has uh, considerable um, impacts for businesses um, across industries all sizes um, and, and financial implications um, so it's one that you should be considering now without a shadow of a doubt. I suppose what is it? Basically, it's a semi-mandatory retirement saving system that's designed to give employees extra income in retirement We you have an agent population. And this is one of the government's plans to, you know, address that. Um, a new kind of central processing authority is going to be set up and they are going to administer this scheme. So employees who are enrolled in the scheme will have to stay in it for six months, but then they will be free to opt out in months seven and eight if they so wish. If My understanding is if they don't in that time, they remain enrolled. Um, you will also be able to suspend or pause your contributions at any time outside of that six month period um, and all contributions at that point. And um, so that's the employee, the employer and the state will cease if an employee opts out or suspends their contributions. Um, If you opt out or suspend, you will be automatically re-enrolled after two years, um, provided you're still eligible for the scheme. So eligibility is someone earning over 20 grand a year between the ages of 23 and 60 and who who aren't already in a pension scheme. Um, Those kind of outside of those earnings or that age cohort and who aren't in a pension scheme won't be enrolled, but they can choose to opt in um, if they wish. Um, if you have a workplace pension plan in place, you will not be enrolled into the, into the new scheme. I suppose a big question is how much will it cost? Um, it is going to graduate, much like the statutory sick pay scheme to allow employers time to adjust. Um, contributions are going to start at 1.5% of gross pay. Um, they are going to increase eventually to 6%, um, but it's going to take us 10 years uh, to get that far. All employee contributions will be matched by employers and topped up by the state as well. Um, It's a fixed contribution, so you can't contribute more or less as we see with some like workplace pension plans. Um, And just for for companies with, with, with employees on higher salaries, uh, just to note that an employer's and the government's contributions are capped at 80 grand uh, gross salary. Um, so that's just kind of an overview. Um, but there's, we're still waiting on, on further information. Um, we still haven't got an exact date of when this will, will take effect. Of course, there's a lot of logistics and planning behind the implement, implementation of, of such a scheme. Um, but uh, once in effect, uh, you know there'll be big changes uh, for employers especially ones who don't operate any sort of scheme um, at the moment not least from a financial perspective because as you can see the eligibility criteria uh, is quite wide there so it's going to affect a lot a lot of a lot of businesses.
1: Definitely and I suppose Mary although as Megan said there at best probably it will be another maybe eight nine months um, so it might seem like that's something you can Put on the long finger for a while. But again, Mary, that's probably not the way to, to look at it. I mean, there's a lot of preparation that could be done here, a lot of head start, a lot of things you can do now so that you're ready for when it comes in. I mean, like protection disclosures, we thought that was never going to come. And here we are, the day after it's, it's in for a lot of people. So, can you talk to us a little bit about that?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's like everything, on if, if if you allow something to just get dumped on you, um then you're planning and arranging and you know trying to comply is harder so the more you are aware of uh, the potential government plans around this whole area, um, the better. However, I mean, I have seen this scheme being pushed out and pushed out and pushed out. uh, And I suspect while we're in a situation where um, costs are rising at a... Uh, business level, uh, the government might be a little bit slow about introducing it. But that being said, um, I, I've, I've made predictions in the past, uh, been wrong, uh, very wrong. and. Uh, you know, we just don't know the day in which it'll just come into effect. So, you know, it, my view is always, always prepare. But I suppose it leads on to that whole big wider issue around pain benefits, doesn't it? Because many organisations are already competing uh, with each other around these matters. And many larger organisations already have you know, pretty robust pension schemes in place. So this may not be all that significant um, from their perspective uh, and is likely maybe to have a greater impact on the smaller organisations or those that don't traditionally have um, pension schemes in place for their employees uh, or maybe, you know, periods in which an employee isn't entitled to participate in them. You know, I've seen up to two years in some SME companies where there is a pension scheme, but you've got to be there two years before you're entitled to participate. So, you know, again, it's think to your um, salary, your benefits. How are you going to attract people to your organization? It's a huge issue at the moment and um, it doesn't matter what size of an organization you have uh, obviously the bigger an organization the stronger your employer brand the clearer the uh eh, the uh, employer value proposition or employee value um proposition is the the easier it is to attract and retain people in your organizations with that doesn't necessarily go hand in hand. I, I, and I'm sure our listeners out there uh, know that to be the case. But without these things, too, if you're working in an SME, in HR, and you're thinking about what should I be doing in this area for 2024 because I can't get nurses if I'm in a private hospital, I can't get uh, childcare workers, I can't get um, you know, quantity surveyors, I can't get people in different roles and positions, HR people. We all know what's what's happening in HR too. Um, the challenges continue, will continue into 2024. So uh, being very clear about, well, how do we look? How do we look out there um, to potential candidates? Are we attractive? Are we selling ourselves as best we can? Have we looked at our uh, pay and our benefits and thought about how we're going to use these to both attract and retain people in our organisations? Um, are we introducing policies that are family friendly or suitable for our demographic? And if we are, how, how much are our employees singing about it from the rooftop? Because that's what we want them to do. So I think it's time to look again at how we look on our website, online, how we look on places like LinkedIn um, and how we're going to use all that we have in our arsenal to actually attract and retain, um, because it's an, ongoing issue and will be again in 2024.
1: 100%, that's kind of perfect segue onto my last question, which I'll come to both of your, I'll come to to yourself, Megan, first, if that's right. It's kind of around impact. And I suppose a lot of these things with family-friendly policies, as Mary mentioned, with a lot of the the things that are coming down the tracks and a lot of the to-do lists that HR have. There is an opportunity here, though, to make a lot of impact through our policies, through doing the right things and through, again, reaching other parts of the business having an effect on provide more support for our employees, that kind of stuff. So there is a little bit of an impact. I say a little bit. There's a lot of an impact piece here, Megan. Next year, if we do the right things, make the right changes, not just the compliance bit, would I be right in saying that?
2: Yeah, I think even this year with the changes, I mean this change this year is unprecedented, um, you know, in in, in respect to the changes, but all really positive, all a move, you know, EU directives and everything towards you know, recognizing the importance of, of a work-life balance um, for employees. And it's just to be on the right side of that. Um, you know, we do appreciate that sometimes these policies can create, you know, a burden on employers, possibly financial uh, more so than anything else. Uh, but time and time again, Work-life balance has proven to have positive effects, not just for the employee, but for the employer as well. It's all linked to things like engagement, reduced turnover, you know, happy employees, happy work, you know, happy workplace. You know, they're all connected. So, um, you know, not just looking to comply, but looking to embed, looking to live your policies, breathe your policies, not just ticking a box, putting it in the handbook. And then, you know, not actually promoting it as something that staff can avail of, educating staff who aren't maybe aware of the changes to legislation because they don't keep abreast of that. It's about, you know, doing just more than that tick box exercise of, I have a policy, I'll put it on a shelf where it can, where it can, where it can gather dust. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where the impact piece will come from, Um, in my view anyway.
1: Definitely. And Mary, I know you're quite um, have kind of strong feelings about and strong thoughts on how much of a, an impact HR can make. It's something we've spoken about previously, which is fantastic. Is that kind of a foundational kind of mindset to go into 2024 with as well, Mary, that ability and that knowledge to know that by doing the right things, doing putting the work into things like policies, culture, you really can have an impact as a HR team person, whoever you are.
3: I think every HR person should take time to reflect at the end of this year and and before they start back into 2024 about what kind of an impact they actually do want to make um and look over the full year um not just at the to-do list and the tasks and the things that they ought to be aware of and the training courses they ought to do and the programs that they, you know, should think about delivering over the course of the year. But I think it's also a time to reflect on your own personal effectiveness and what you might need to do or develop to be stronger in your position in 2024. So often Um, we meet HR people who feel undervalued and underappreciated in their workplace, who feel that they're not able to make the impact that they wish to have in the organisation because maybe of their relationship with key members of the leadership team or the CEO uh, or something like that. And, you know, so often those people... um, are you know choosing to leave their organizations and find something else rather than maybe take a look at themselves and think you know what is what is it that i i could do to improve my position here and and be strategic about that as much as about anything else Um, and sometimes in hr we work hard and you know People in the profession work hard, it's a tough job. And um, having a focus only on our business, our organization, the people that we work for and the people we serve, doesn't often serve the HR person themselves. And focusing in a little bit on, well, what do I need to be impactful, influential, um, balanced in my workload, balanced in the work that I do. Um, I think we don't give ourselves enough time to do that. So that's just a shout out, as I always like to do at the end of the year mm-hmm. for HR people. It's not an easy job. You need lots of support and uh, a little bit of focus on yourself for 2024 uh, and what you need to do yourself wouldn't go astray either.
1: Definitely, and a fantastic quote to, to finish the year out, Mary. So appreciate that and an important note. That is not just what you do; it's how you do it. So I'm, I'm sure that'll resonate with a with a lot of people. So look, thank you, Mary and Megan, for a very practical, enjoyable, and hopefully a, a very actionable um, discussion that people can come back to, to in January with feeling refreshed and knowing what to do. And um, thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll catch you next week for the next installment of our podcast. So don't forget to click subscribe and join the discussion on our social media channels. The next two weeks of podcasts will actually be our selection boxes—the best of the year that gone by. So do keep an ear out for those. Um, and make sure to listen in some really good highlights coming your way if you are enjoying these episodes do please free to share to my colleagues friends and family and even better if you can leave us a review on whatever platform you're on we'd really appreciate it and as always for hr consultancy services and management you can trust get in touch with us today at insidehr.ie thank you megan and thank you mary
3: thank you all thank you all
0: thanks for joining us today on the hr room podcast the podcast series from Insight HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like, and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember... If you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.